We thank you, Lord. Open the word. Open our hearts today. The Lord is awesome. The Lord is good. We do love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to have you have a seat as I read the scriptures today. I have a number of places I'm going to be going and uh, get you out of here. Um, before Thanksgiving. I will be sure to get you out of here before Thanksgiving. Today is the 17th, so if I hold you until Thanksgiving, I pray that will be okay. <laughs> I'll call all your employees and tell them that you're okay, you're in good hands. <laughs> Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Acts 8, verses 1 through 13. And I will give my title after I read. Uh, I'm not sure who brought the water, but I want to thank you again that we are in the business of buying water that has tops that have not been turned or opened. <laughs> Sister Gloria, Sister Lene, thank you so much <laughs> that no one has put their lips on my water. <laughs> Acts chapter 8 and Saul approved of their killing him on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him verse 3 but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went, town, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said, for with shrieks, Impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. I'm going to end at 12, actually. The title that I've given this sermon is The Church Under Fire. The Church Under Fire. There is a cry today from many in the church for God to remove their pressure. But then they ask God for patience. When God begins the process of again giving them patience, they say that things are too difficult and want God and want God to remove the difficulties. You cannot grow unless you go through some bumps and some problems. Patience comes about 
because of trials. Patience is something that will show what's inside of a person. Or I should say trials and troubles will show what's inside of a person. So if you are praying for patience, you need to understand that it's going to come about because of what you go through. I think sometimes we cry and ask for things, but we're really not quite sure the process that it takes in order to get it. And when the Lord begins the process of taking us to the place that we are asking to go, we put up roadblocks and signs and say, Lord, I don't want to go there. The Lord told the church that they would be his witnesses. They were going to take the word of God and to go into places that the Lord had told them to go to preach the word. And those places would not always be happy places. But I don't think the church or the people at that time, the disciples, really knew the difficulties and the problems that they would encounter. Today many people say, I don't want to go to that church because of problems. So they go to a different church and they say, I don't want to go to the church because there's sin in that church. And then they go to a different church and I don't want to go to that church because they're there's sin in that church. And then they go to a, another church and say that I don't like this church because the people ain't acting just like I think they should act. The church is established and was established because of persecution. Now, I'm not saying go to a church and get beat up or don't preach the word. What I'm saying is that there going to be, there's going to be problems in the church. And if you're saying there are sinners in that church and I don't want to go, I say, oh, why did Christ then come? <laughs> so people are looking for a church with no problems. No, Christ is going to come back for a church one day without spot or blemish. He's going to make it that way. But until he comes, believe me, there's going to be problems in the church. Point number one is scattered but directed. Scattered but directed. There is no answer given in the scriptures that we read when the church was scattered why the apostles were not. We, don't, we didn't read in our passage when the persecution after, came about after the killing of Stephen, why the apostles were able or to remain in Jerusalem, but why the rest scattered. And at the very hymn, hymn, hymn of the persecution was a person by the name of Saul. He was the one that was consenting to the killing of Stephen. And in fact, those that were killing Stephen rushing to him, they put their cloaks at the feet of Saul. So he told them, go ahead and lay your coats here, and as you lay your coats, go ahead and pick up a few stones to toss and throw at Stephen, as we mentioned last week. Saul was the one consenting to the death of Stephen, and he is the one that began an earnest quest to stamp out the church. 
when the Lord told his disciples that they would be his witnesses, I don't think that they had persecution necessarily in mind. But again, the word witness in the Greek in the New Testament means martyr. And if you're going to be a witness for Christ, you might just need to understand that you will be a martyr. When one is being persecuted, it is a strong likelihood that one will stop doing the things or the thing that is causing them to be persecuted. However, the very opposite takes place when we look at what began to happen at the killing and the stoning of Stephen. The more pressure that was exerted on the church, the greater the witness became for Jesus Christ. You see that all through Scripture, the greater the pressure, the greater the persecution, the greater the witness became. Now, I find it interesting that I hadn't seen this before, which is a lot of times when I'm reading the Scripture, things like, oh! <laughs> the first two places mentioned in Acts that the Lord said that they would be his witnesses after leaving Jerusalem was Judea and Samaria. You will be my witnesses first, it says in Jerusalem, but then in Judea and Samaria. Now I want you to look back at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Quickly find Acts 1, 8. It says, it quoted, but receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and we're in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now that is what Jesus told his disciples. When he rose, he told them to go to Galilee, I believe it was, and meet me at the mountain. And there he gave them his words. And so he told them when disciples were talking about um, if you look back a little bit further, when they were questioning, make, having some questions, he told them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria. Samaria. Then when I was reading Acts 8, 1, I noticed something. That what Jesus told them was, this is how the gospel is going to spread. But then Acts 8, 1 says that they began, to be, they began to go to Judea and Samaria. Acts 1.8, you flip it around, 8.1 is when the church began to spread. I thought that was interesting. Acts 1.8, the command comes. Acts 8.1, they began to go in, in, in obedience to the, the command, but it was because of persecution. Now, they went to a place called Samaria. Now, let's take a look just briefly at Saul. Saul was born in Tarsus, a very wealthy city. It is a place where many people went, traveled through. It was a place that was known for its wealth and wisdom and prosperity. We don't have a lot of information on Saul's father, but we note that Saul was born a Roman citizen, meaning that his father was already a Roman citizen. 
Generally, when you are a citizen of Rome, your family was free from having to pay taxes. Uh, um, and, and I can give some other history regarding something else, but I'm not going to go there now. But, but we note that, that also in Tarsus, uh, um, they had the largest university, even bigger than Alexandria. They had the, biggest, the, the largest collection, even of books. It is said by Dr. R.C. Sproul that when Saul was at the age of 13, that he left Jerusalem, or left Tarsus, and went to Jerusalem. Now, let me also say this. It was customary, even when a person would go to get their theological training, that they had to have a trade, a trade to live on. And so Saul became a tent maker. That was a very lucrative business at the time. And so Saul became a, I don't know if he went into that because of that or just his family were tent makers. But it definitely served him well when he would go onto his missionary travels. But from 13 to the time of, of when he turned 21, it is said that he earned the equivalent of two PhDs in theology. Under Gamaliel, whose words were called beautiful, he was the most well-known person in the, 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 the person that was highly respected and revered by the Jewish community. Is it just a little warm in here? People said, no, you're okay. You don't need the air conditioner on. Okay. That's me. So I should I shouldn't turn it on just to cool myself down, huh? <laughs> but Saul, very educated. And then we when we mentioned before, when we look at Gamaliel, one would, would, would think and and question why wasn't Saul taught that Jesus was to be feared? And loved, and that he was the Messiah coming. How, how through all of this education did they miss that Jesus was the Messiah? The very one that the scriptures from the Old Testament had been talking and telling them about him and, 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 and all pointing to. So in all of their education, they missed Jesus. The first encounter that we have of Saul is not a good encounter. We see Saul in the very first encounter consenting to the death of Stephen. Saul begins to go on a rampage, breaking up the family. He went from house to house, getting men as well as the women now, one has to understand this. When you are snatching up women in this way shows a disrespect that Saul had of women. And it also shows a disrespect that he had of children. Because what now was going to happen to the children? How many mothers were nursing? How many babies were there? There was no consideration given by Saul. He was on a rampage. That's how we are first introduced to him as he kills, tries to kill the church. But then we come to verse number four. And as if in a play 
And as this act comes to a halt, you know when you're reading books, it, it, it brings you to a place where you are reading and all of a sudden it goes to maybe the beginning of the person's life and kind of holds you in suspense while it goes to another part. And you're kind of just waiting and saying, when is it going to get back to this? And then you see the build up. is ah, how it all ties in. We are not picked up. We don't pick up Saul again until chapter 9. So there's a, as an interlude as the focus now goes to Philip. Acts chapter 4 and 5. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Be doing just more teaching today. I'm going to turn. You can follow with me over to 1 Kings. I'm going to read chapter 16, verses 23 through 33. 1 Kings, chapter 16, beginning at verse 23 through 33. And it says, In the first year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king of Israel and reigned twelve years, six of them in Terzah. He bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver and built a city on the hill, calling it Samaria, after Shemer, the name of the former, former owner of the hill. But Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all those before him. He followed completely the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, committing the same sin Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit. So that they aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, by their worthless idols. As for the other events of Omri's reign, what he did and the things he achieved, are they not written in the books of the annals of the kings of Israel? Omri rested with his ancestors and was buried in Samaria. And Ahab, his son, succeeded him as king. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Nebat, but he also married who? Jezebel, daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to tie this together. 2 Kings 17 verse 24. Some of those in the Wednesday night class know exactly what I'm speaking about because they've been here. Been going through the Kings. 17 verse 24. The king, of Is the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Cutha, Ava, Hamath, and Seth Irvain, and settled them in the towns of Samaria, 
to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. The sin of Israel led to the Lord allowing Assyria to take Israel into captivity in 722 B.C. At this time of 722 B.C., this is the third invasion that Israel faced with Assyria. This time as well because of continued sin. The Lord allowed Assyria to take Israel to Assyria. He allowed the king to come in and set siege to the place and take them in. Then the king of Assyria, he brought in at least five other groups into Samaria. When we are looking at how Samaria began, Omri, the father of Ahab, bought a hill and called it Samaria. Samaria, with the dividing of the land, the dividing of Israel, when Israel was divided, when Solomon had sinned, and the Lord says, I'm going to divide the kingdom, take it from David, take it from Solomon. I'm going to give Jeroboam Israel, but I'm not going to completely take the kingdom out of David's hand because the Messiah's got to come through Judah. And so the Lord left with Solomon's son, Rehoboam, two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, who was oftentimes counted as one. Samaria became a place that the kings of Israel dwelt. When they refused to listen to the prophets that God sent, when they refused to listen to all the help that God gave, the Lord finally said, I am sending you into captivity. The Samaritan people, you remember the woman at the well? The woman at the well of Samaria. When Jesus went and met her there, you see, Jesus needed to go through Samaria. The Lord said in Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses in Samaria. Back in the book of Kings, there were the Jewish nation in Israel, in Samaria. But when they sinned, the king came and deported them and took most of the people to Assyria. And from the other people that he had already conquered, he took those people and brought them to Samaria. The Samarians or those other people, the Babylonians and others, they began to intermarry with the Jewish people. And that's how we get the Samaritans. It was a group of individuals that were mixed. That's why the Jewish people hated the Samaritans, because they called them a mixed race, a hybrid. They didn't like them. That's why the Jewish people wouldn't even walk through Samaria. In the New Testament, we see that. But you know what? They tend to forget that it was because of sin that the nations were brought in and they began to intermarry and they began to have children. And the Jewish nation said, we don't want nothing to do with you. But Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria 
and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The very place that you hate, the very people you can't stand, I'm going to save them. The very people that you don't even like to talk to, the very people that you consider dogs, I'm working with and saving them. Jesus says that when Stephen was persecuted, died, Saul began to wreak havoc, havoc, and the gospel spread to Samaria. The Samaritans, a group that people, the Jewish people didn't like, the Gentiles, God is saving. Now, I want you to know something carefully. What the Jewish nations, nation rejected in Jerusalem, the people of Samaria, when the persecution began, they accepted the word of God with joy. The Bible says they rejoiced when they listened to Philip. Now, who was Philip? Philip is one of those deacons that was with Stephen. You remember the seven? That we spoke of? How many remember the seven? Stephen, remember the first problem in the church was about food? And the apostles said, y'all select some godly men. And they selected seven and they prayed for them. Philip was one of those ones. Y'all got that, right? Okay. Philip goes to Samaria. And Samaria is plagued with demon possession. And as he's in that city, and the word of God is being preached, demons are coming out with shrieks. What Jerusalem was unwilling to accept, the Gentiles were willing to accept. The very people that we think God can't save, he's saving very people that we're sticking our nose in the air about and saying, I don't know who they think they are, God is bringing into the kingdom. The very ones that have just getting saved, the very ones that God is using are the ones that's showing up and says, I want more of Christ. The very ones that we said God can't do nothing with are the very ones that's stepping over into the kingdom of God. The very place where the Jewish people would not even walk through. The word of God is caught hold. And the people are on fire for Jesus Christ. What does it take to spread the word of God? Persecution. The very thing that Saul was trying to stamp out. Just like I told you about that fire I started when I was a kid. The more I stamp, stomp, stomp my foot, the more it spread. <laughs> That's what the Word of God did. The more they hit Jesus, it just seemed to multiply the Word. People just began to be saved because of the persecution. Do you not know that if you want to grow in Christ, you've got to go through some things? Here's Philip, a man full of the Holy Spirit, whose task was given the daily distribution of food and other things. Can you imagine being over at the module with Stephen and Philip after a Sunday to have dinner? And they serving food and they serving you and they praying for you and, 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 and you being healed and, and that would be some type of lunch. 
Think about it. Godly people serving and people are getting saved and healed. You see, sometimes we take our service to God as, oh, that's not that important. Oh, that's, I'm just doing this. When you, we say, I'm just doing this little part, it minimizes what God is doing as part of the work of the kingdom of God. Every work, every gift, everything is important in the family, in the house of God. Don't take what you do as something that's insignificant. When you think about Stephen, he was on the scene for a very short time. He is introduced, he's dead, and the word of God spread. He did what God called him to do. And he's off the scene, and the word of God is carrying forth. One of the things that I believe that many of the people in Jerusalem, why, one reason why I believe they didn't probably like the Samaritans, because I think it reminded them of their sin. That's just my own thought. I'm just extrapolating. <laughs> it is possible that when they would, see, they would see this group, it reminded them of their sin, that we didn't follow what God had called us to do. And they hated them. Anytime a people preach hate, it is not of God. Anytime hate is preached, it is not, I don't care who it is. And when I say that, I'm saying based on the color of a person's skin, it is not of God. When God brought people into this world, He's the one. He's the one that placed the genes, the chromosome. He's the one that placed all the genetic makeup in individuals. And God has people all throughout the world, different colors, different shapes, and they're getting saved. And they love the Lord. So when a person tries to tell you, oh, I wouldn't serve Jesus, he's, he's white or he's Jewish, or he's... they that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. Too many people are worshiping a color rather than the Savior, Jesus Christ. The persecution that began in Jerusalem shows the rejection of the word of God but leads to salvation of those despised in Samaria. Those that were willing and closed up their ears when Stephen preached, those in Samaria opened their ears and heard and with gladness of heart received the message of God. What was anger and resentment in one place is great joy in another place. Samaria, full of evil and demon possession. But where God's grace abounds, the power of the enemy is broken. Talk about salvation. <laughs> ah, salvation is for those who will accept the Lord as Savior. Come all to the very fountain of the Word of God. Now something is interesting as I come to a close for today. 
and pick up next week. And it deals with something that we will, again, address, and that is the person of Simon who was a sorcerer, a person who practiced magic arts. How many of you have heard of the Ouija board? How many of you prayed, played with the Ouija board? Yeah, until, until we come to, come to realize, uh-oh. They, say, they, they sell the Ouija board right in the kids' sections of games. I'm going to share this. Never played the Ouija board. But Sister Mary um, Williams at the time, before she got married and became Boyd, they had a blended family, so there was Warren's family and there was Sister Mary's. And, um, and, and, and if I recall, I may not have it all correct, I believe the kids were playing with a Ouija board. And when Sister Mary had come to realize and found out, she says, something that is not of the Lord, and threw it in the fireplace. They heard voices coming from, that, from the fireplace when they threw the Ouija board in there. People don't realize what they're messing with when they're involved in all these occultic-type practices. The Lord condemned sorcery and witchcraft in the Old Testament, something that he hated, and told his people, Stay away from it. But Simon practiced sorcery. And when Stephen came on the scene, he was amazed at the power he had because he knew that he was a fake. He tricked the people. And what he was trying to do didn't amount to anything but deception and lies. But when the authentic, when, when, when the genuineness and the authentic work of Christ came on the scene. He was exposed and he knew that what Philip was doing was of the real thing. And he says, man, how are you doing what you're doing? But it will raise a question that I'm going to leave us with. And go ahead and read the rest of uh, 8 next week. And the question I'm going to basically leave with you is what Simon really saved. When you read further on, was Simon saved? And, and, and that's Acts 8. You can read it ahead of time. I'm going to be coming back to that next week, that passage. As we come to a conclusion, salvation is not simply based on our mouths or speaking it. I also want to find Romans 10. 9 and 10, and read it. Whoever finds it, just read it, even though people may still be looking. Please read it. Romans 10. If you shall confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. Hold it. And if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and and believe in your heart then what will happen? Then thou shalt be saved. A lot of people are confessing Jesus Christ ain't saved. When we were talking to Sunday school today, 80% of America trying to say, I'm a Christian. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, no, no. No, you're not. 
Not all people out there saying I'm a Christian is a Christian. No. No. Christianity is based on the fact that we are the Christ ones. We have accepted what Christ did. His atonement was applied to our life. We have accepted His blood. We've accepted His finished work. It is the mouth confession, but it's what we believe in the heart that's carried out by how we live. Our lifestyle tells us if we are really doing what God has called us to do. A lot of people can give lip service. It's the lifestyle that makes the difference. And it ain't about how you always feel. Because you can wake up feeling bad in the morning, going to sleep a Christian at night. You ain't waking up a sinner in the morning just because you feel like one. If you've accepted the Lord and you're serving him, living for him, your feelings can lie to you. It is based on faith. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Can't please him without faith. And we've got to believe that he is and a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. People, time is moving on. Yeah. I, 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 I am at a place, and I know it, where, where God is doing a work. And he said, do I have a people that will serve me? There are lives to be saved. And the church, through persecution and death, carried that word out and preached it. The more the pressure, the more they preached. That's what God is looking for. I've been so tired this week, getting up early and driving way out, out in, out, out in the place I ain't going to tell you where, to, to, to do some work that I have to do. Tired. But it had to be done. And then I'm thinking, man, Lord, this is, this is pretty tough. Then I got to think about, Lord, it must have been tough walking up that hill with that cross initially before someone was born and having been beat, having all of my sins upon you, and you didn't complain? And then even on the cross could look over at a thief and tell him, when he said it with his mouth, would you remember me? Today, remember me. Would you remember me? And the Lord says, today, you are going to be with me in paradise. Because he said, Lord, would you remember me? There was a change of heart. There was a heart change in that moment. It only takes a moment. Only a moment. They have a change of heart because of what God is doing. A lifetime of talking can still lead people to hell. But a change of heart can change your destiny forever. What we do in here should be the same that we do out there. Your lifestyle should not be two different things. We're trying to duck and hide because when we get out there, that ain't what God is calling for. 
God is looking for a people that's changed. And the people of Samaria said, you know what? We hear this word. We want to change. If you bow your head. Today, Lord, we are in this place recognizing that there is a great work and responsibility that's upon us as individuals and collectively as a body of Christ. We pray today in Jesus' name that the Word of God will be so alive in our hearts that we won't, Lord, just attend church, but that we will be the church doing what the Lord said for us to do. The command to go was not just for the disciples, for your servants. Be my witnesses. Will you be my martyrs? Today we are praying that we will do everything to spread and to preach the word because the time is short. We pray today in Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit will quicken us and change us, that we won't resist the Holy Spirit. May we not be like the group in Jerusalem that said to Stephen, we don't want to hear it anymore by covering their ears and rushing at him to stone him. But Lord, may we see Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father because of obedience to the mighty word of God. Today we love you, and we pray that it will be shown by what we do for the Almighty God. May our lives be transformed. May our talk match what we do. We thank you today and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.